You're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 61. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. More than anything, this show is home to honest conversations between real people. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to get you to fix yourself or your life or do any kind of life hacks or anything like that. Instead, it's just a space to be real, to take a deep breath and talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that I think isn't talked about enough, like our fears, challenges, and insecurities, our secret dreams, how it really feels to try and make changes in your life, what happens when you don't accomplish a goal, and just the day-to-day truths of being human in a crazy world. As your host, it's so much fun for me to sit down with everyone from athletes, writers, and entrepreneurs to parents, coaches, activists, change makers, world travelers, adventurers, artists, the list goes on and on, and to then bring those conversations to you. And fair warning real quick that this is an adult podcast, which means that we often cover adult topics and use adult language. So don't say you weren't warned because this is your little warning. My hope for you as a listener of this show is that it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want to know that I'm not alone. Something else that's unique about this show is that it's now 100% community supported, which means no ads, no sponsors, and no outside influence. Just us here together sharing stories. The show is made possible by listeners like you, who have pledged $8 or more per eight-episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon, and not only does your support go toward the funding goal that we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016, which means beyond the end of this season, but your support also earns you access to exclusive bonus content. That bonus content includes conversations and interviews with wonderful guests that aren't aired publicly, plus you get access to the Squad Pod, a shorter version of Real Talk Radio where the guests are you, the members of the community. And coming in mid-December, there's something extra special happening for those of you who are in the Patreon community. A handful of your favorite past guests will come back to share a Real Talk end-of-year recap, including details about their 2016 successes, failures, and lessons learned, as well as dreams and goals for 2017. And all of that will only be available to our Patreon support squad. So to get access to that, plus over 20 hours of other bonus content, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our community members who joins me for a quick and hilarious game of Would You Rather and shares how great it is to be part of our Patreon community. So if you believe in this Real Talk revolution, like I do, and if you're in the position to be able to support the show, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Right now, the show is scheduled and funded through the end of 2016, so basically through the end of this season, season eight. And if we meet our funding goal by the end of the year, then the show will be able to continue into 2017 as well. And you can totally help make that happen. So thank you so much for your support. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Nick Simmons. Nick is an American middle distance track athlete, six-time U.S. national champion, and two-time Olympian who won the silver medal in the 800 meters at the 2013 World Championships. He's also the CEO of RunGum, an energy gum that's designed to maximize your performance. In this episode, Nick shares the story of how he first got into running and many more stories about the 20 years he spent as a competitive track athlete. We talk about goal setting, setbacks, and why it's crazy to let other people set limits and barriers for you, especially when it comes to your age and what might be considered too old for you to do. He shares about periods of depression, why we need our own goals, what drives him to keep competing after all these years in the sport, and about the legacy he hopes to leave behind him. We also talk about business, both the business of professional running and that of his company, RunGum, where he's the CEO. 
I've been a big fangirl of Nick's for years, and it was such a treat to have this kind of honest conversation with him. I really hope that you enjoy it too. Awesome. We are rolling. Nick, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am super pumped. I'm a huge fangirl of yours. So this is quite an honor and an exciting day in Real Talk Radio land for me. Thank you. Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to this one as well. So, all right, what do I want to know? Tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now. Um, Westworld. And I don't watch TV. I don't really like TV. I have it on at all. It's, I'm watching CNN. But my sister and my brother-in-law told me I needed to see Westworld it's on HBO. Um, it, it's uh, you know you can't binge on it. It's coming out one one episode every Sunday, and there's only three episodes out. But I'm I think about it all day long, and I hate that because I have so much work to do, and I'm daydreaming about the next Westworld episode. So I'm a little embarrassed to admit that that's what I'm obsessed with right now. That's so funny. No, um, you're the second person this week that's told me about that show. Actually, so apparently- it's just unlike anything I've ever watched before. What, so okay, so what's it about? I don't, it's, when I describe it, you're going to be like, this sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I think it's Stephen King, so you know it's out there. But uh, it's it's about the future, but it's also about the past. So, you know, imagine 100 years from now, um, you can go to this amusement park that's themed like the 1800s Wild West. Um, but all of the quote-unquote hosts are... I think c- cyborgs. I can't totally tell. They're humans, but they are with have computer brains. So I know that sounds insane. <laughs> <laughs> it is totally insane, uh, but it's very entertaining. HBO knows what they're doing. Uh, they do know what they're doing. That's so funny. I so the the friend of mine, my friend Emily, who told me about it, she prefaced it with saying that it is not a Nicole approved show because people who know me know that anything that's <laughs> creepy or that's this like gonna is. make me scared to be home alone, like Law and Order SVU, like Stephen, yes. all that stuff's off limits. So she said this show's so good, but it's not for you. <laughs> so. No, like I I very careful who I recommend this show to because it is messed up. Okay, so anyone out there who does like messed up things, that that's <laughs> yeah. a show for you, but not Nicole approved, sadly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So funny. Um, okay, so let's, speaking of time travel, let's time travel a little bit and tell me the story of how you first got into running. Like, when did you realize, oh, I'm awesome at this? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I grew up playing soccer and ice hockey, and I had this dream that I was going to be like this crazy athlete that did both. And I'd play MLS and NHL, and this was a great plan for me growing up in Boise, Idaho. I was pretty good at both until about the age of 13 when everyone started going through puberty, and they all got big and strong and and faster, and I stayed a boy, and when I went into high school, um, I was about 95 pounds, five feet tall, the smallest person in the entire high school, male or female, and you know, I talked to the soccer coach, I talked to the ice hockey coach, and they both just laughed their ass off. And they said, there is no way we'll put you on that field. You will be, you know, slaughtered. They said, why don't you go out for cross country, develop your cardiovascular strength. And, you know, maybe in a couple of years when you've gone through puberty, you, you will get some playing time. So I went out for cross country and I hated it. I hated everything about the training. Um, I didn't like the fact that we were quote unquote running for fun, but I did like the fact that during the races, I felt alive and I, I was good at it. I mean, I was really good at it. My freshman year, um, I was top 20 in state and um, that was just kind of goofing around at practices, chasing geese around the park. I mean, I never really even trained for it. And I liked the fact that the practices were co-ed 
um, which just seemed fun. I mean, is everybody after a long day of school going out to the park, going out to the hills and, and really just goofing around. But, um, I knew that, I knew that my, my destiny probably wasn't on an ice rink or a soccer pitch. It probably was in running. And as much as I hated to admit it, um, I, I thought I, I could see a future in track and field and cross country at that point. Did you have a, you know, a coach or a mentor or someone who kind of said, Hey, listen, like you're, you're really good at this. Let's put some focus here. Yeah, definitely. In my freshman year of high school, I ran cross in the fall and played club soccer, which I'd been playing uh, on a traveling team all, all my youth. I played club soccer in, in the spring and the cross country coach was also the track coach. And he, my sophomore year of cross, I finished, I think, fifth in the in the state of Idaho. And he said, you have to come out for track. Like he, He's like, I know you love soccer, but I just feel like you've been running 5K cross, but your calling is probably the mile. And I laughed at him. I'm like, what do you know? You know, I, I'm a soccer player. But I went out for that track season, and, and sure enough, I went on to uh, to be a pretty accomplished miler. I, I was, I want to say, third in the two-mile and second – in the, uh, I finished top three in all, in all the, the middle distance events. And, um, I was hooked, I guess you could say I, I loved coming off the last corner and hunting people down in the last hundred. And in Idaho, I really got a chance to do that. And that was kind of my calling card was just sitting there and being patient and then dropping this last hundred that would destroy everybody. And I, I didn't love the 700 or, or however many meters it took me to get to the last hundred, but it was worth the pain and training and sacrifice to get to that last stretch and just put on a show. And that's what really hooked me on track and field. Interesting. That like competitive, like being able to take it at the end. Yeah, no. I Just so, being successful at something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at, at 15, I desperately wanted to be successful at something and it seemed like soccer and ice hockey maybe not be it might not be my calling, but track and field seemed like something I could be really good at. So do you think that that's what you were looking for was somewhere that you could really excel and at running just happened to fit that? Yeah, very much. You know, I was a pretty insecure teenager um, because I was so small. Uh, I felt like kind of the, the runt of the class. And um, I just thought if I could be really, really good at something, you know, people will give me the respect that I desire. And, and sure enough, when I when I'd run a, you know, win a state title or run a new school record, you know, Bishop Kelly is not a big school, but all 400 kids would come and pat me on the back and say, congratulations, like really impressive. You know, and I was kind of like, this is the this is the admiration and the respect that I'd been desiring for so long. And uh, it felt good. It felt really good. It was it was addictive. And even though the running and the training wasn't wasn't my favorite, that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of investing something, investing part of me and my time and energy in something and, and it paying me dividends in return was very addicting. Yeah. So that brings up something else that I'm super curious about. My, I mean, my running story is very different from yours. I um, started running as an adult. Basically, I quit drinking and started running on the same day. It was like the way nice. out of the hole for me. But I'd yeah. never been an athlete. I had never played sports. I had never done anything even remotely athletic. Literally couldn't run for two minutes. Like it was a real beginner story. I was like 26 when I started. And the cool thing about being a beginner like that 
is that success or like little victories come really often. You know, like the, I think this anyone listening who started running as an adult maybe had the same experience where the first couple of years, every race you're running a PR basically because you're just developing, developing. And what happened for me was that became really addictive and it became so mm-hmm. outcome based and so results based. And then when I hit the very natural point, you know, two and a half, three years in where it wasn't just every race you're going to run a PR, you yeah. know, so I, like I think it's easy to be driven when you're constantly improving and when you're getting that positive feedback loop but it is yeah you know i'd love to hear about what drives you maybe and how that's evolved throughout your running career yeah and just just before i get back to that i i want to mention you know i think what you did was exactly right you picked small victories you didn't go out and say okay well i'm going to go out and run 10 miles tomorrow you picked small victories and that's that's what gets people hooked on distance running people always say to me who don't run well i'm not a runner and I said, well, what, why do you say that? And they'll say, well, I went out for a 60-minute run yesterday and I felt terrible after. I'm like, why in the world did you go run an hour? You should run maybe five minutes, mm-hmm. maybe 10, yeah. and then the next day run 15 and then drop back to 10. And then two days later run 20. And and it's about building very slowly and gradually and taking that huge endorphin rush of, of bettering yourself. You know, I'm, I'm coming back from an ankle injury and – you know, as, as I was rehabbing and coming back, you know, I'm a two-time Olympian who's used to running 70 miles a week. And a, and a major, major victory for me was when I ran my first mile. I only ran it in nine minutes, you know, which most listeners could probably go do. But that was a huge victory for me because it was better than I could have done it the day before. Mm-hmm. And I, I just felt so, um, felt so great for, for being better, you know, and, and, and striving to be great again. So I guess if I was to talk about what's motivated me over the last, you know, 20 years as a competitive runner, it's um, it's always wanting to be a little bit better than I was yesterday or last year. And that's at 33, I'll turn 33 in a couple months. That's getting harder and harder. And my motivation's changing. It's not like I was in my 20s where it was like, okay, I ran 143 for 800 meters last year. Now I have to run 142 this year. It's more of okay, I see a lot of my friends who are maybe unhappy in their life and don't have a lot of structure or sense of purpose. And each day I wake up and say, all I have to do is be a little bit stronger than I was yesterday. And that's, uh, you know, at my age, that's a really, that's rewarding in and of itself is just getting out there and going for a run, even if it's an easy two or three miles at 10 minute miles, I just feel alive being out there. Yeah, I remember I read an article, might have been Runner's World. This was a long time ago, back when I first started running. And it was something about someone who had been similar to me, you know, who was a beginner. And, you know, when she got to the point where she was running five miles, six miles, she said something, it's really funny. She said something like, it's really difficult to run five miles first thing in the morning and then put up with any bullshit for the rest of the day. Like, it just mm-hmm. makes you like a stronger. Pardon. Yeah. Know, yeah, that there's you know, benefits. That, absolutely. And, there is a barrier to entry. You know, you're going to, you're going to break down before it starts feeling really smooth. Uh, when I was young, a really great coach, Kelly Sullivan told me, uh, it takes 23 days to form a habit, no matter what it is, whether it's, um, you know, drinking or running or lifting or brushing your teeth or anything. If you do it for 23 days straight without a break, it will become a habit. And I don't know if he was just making that up, if there's science to back it up, but Every time I come back from my time off, and I take six weeks you know, off each year, as I come back, those first few days just feel like torture. But if I do it for two or three weeks straight, it's almost like I can't not do it. It, it, it becomes such a habit that 
uh, a day doesn't feel complete if I haven't gone for a run. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sell everybody on distance running, but I'm saying if there's something that you want to incorporate in your life, whether it's, you know, dieting or lifting or, you know, anything, commit to 23 days. And I really think that, uh, that you'll find that you've formed a habit, a new habit, and that, that will, you know, dictate how, how you structure your day. Yeah, I love what you said about that there's a barrier to entry. I think that, unfortunately, one of the hardest things, I mean, we can use running, but like you said, it could apply to any other habit or change that someone might want to make in their life, that like when we need it to be the easiest, like at the beginning, is when it's actually the hardest because it's new and you don't know what you're doing. And I know, I, I've talked to so many new runners throughout the years, and you know, the, the conversation that always comes up is like you don't have to be in the mood to do something in order to do it. And like eventually, once you, like we don't like things that we're not good at, right? So like if running is really hard at the beginning and you don't know what you're doing you're probably not going to enjoy it but there is that barrier aren't you like if you keep doing something for long enough then i don't know i think the enjoyment comes later definitely and and once you crest that barrier to entry and you're on the other side and you're you know running along at, at uh six minute or seven minute miles effortlessly then you have this epiphany like oh my gosh i've arrived i am now a runner you know, and I, I've seen a lot of people who picked up running late in life that had that moment. And I'm like, welcome, you know, it's, <laughs> Join uh, us. it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. Do you remember what that moment was for you that you were like, wow, I'm a runner? Unfortunately, no, because I started so young, you know, it's just like, I'm doing this because I need something to do. I'm doing this because I like the camaraderie. Um, you know, I never really had that that moment that you get it later in life. I do have it when I come back, like, like I was saying, I was taking uh taking some time off due to an ankle injury. And I, the last few weeks have been kind of tough. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm 32. I'm too old for this. I shouldn't be doing this. You know, all my teammates are in their young to mid 20s, just kicking my butt every day. And today I went out and I had a 10 mile workout that in, included a tempo run and some hill repeats. And I got my butt absolutely kicked by my, my uh, training group. Um, three young guys, all 800 meter runners. And they just... I mean, every step they were, they were, you know, putting territory on me and it, it was humbling, but it was also this really, really cool day. Um, it was the longest run I've done in four months. It was a perfect autumn day here in Seattle. Um, you know, I was looking at everybody, you know, stuck in their cars in traffic and, and in an office, maybe where they didn't want to be. And I'm just chuckling to myself. I get to go out and I get paid to stay in shape and with the, you know, mentor these young kids and, and, you know, for a little while have them with me into shape, but hopefully in the spring with them into shape. And I don't know, it, it, it's not like it was when I was in my twenties where I would have bled to beat them in every practice. It's more just taking a huge sense of pride and happiness at what I've accomplished and what, uh, I can hopefully, you know, accomplish this year and, and hopefully watch my teammates accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I remember something I something I heard you say, I don't remember where, about when I think it was when you were 25 and you thought for sure that all of your best running and stuff was behind you. And clearly that yeah. hasn't been the case. So will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I remember I hit 25 and I thought, well, this is the average age that you know most people will make an Olympic team or win an Olympic medal. And I went through this huge depression thinking all my all my best running days are behind me. And it lasted for months, and I actually had to go see a sports psychologist to get past that that uh, that mental barrier. And he was just laughing. He's like, "You don't even know. I mean, why would you? You were a late bloomer in high school. You were a late bloomer in college. Why in the world would you think you've already peaked?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's a good point." And sure enough, I went on 
to run much, much better in my late 20s. I actually ran my fastest time ever at the age of 28 and had my best season ever at the age of 29. So I just... You know, I wish I could go back and give my 25-year-old self a hug and just be like, dude, chill out. <laughs> and now at 32, as I'm like, all oh, my best days are behind me, I don't get depressed about it. I think maybe I don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, maybe maybe this is another freak out like I had at 25, and maybe I've got some really good races left in my legs. And I guess I would say if, if uh, you know, aging's taught me anything, it's that just to stop questioning it. I, I don't recognize what I don't know. I have no idea what I'm capable of and I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to go out there and train my butt off and it is what it is. And there's something very peaceful about that. Yeah. Isn't it so funny how we put these really arbitrary, often age-based limits on, I don't know, like I'm resonating and shaking my head so much with what you're saying. I just went back to school, um, to culinary school for baking and pastry arts and I'm 31. So we're basically the same age. And so much of my fear and why I put off going back to school for so long was, oh my God, I'm going to be the oldest one or it's going to take me two years to finish and that's too late to start a culinary career and just blah, 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 blah. And I mean, yeah, most of the people in my classes are 18 years old, (laughs) but it's awesome (laughs) and I'm having so much fun. So it's, I don't know, it's just so funny the way that we like put these limits on, well, I've reached this age, so my whole life's over. I think society puts those limits on us also, and that's messed up. And I think that the the one of the biggest barriers to happiness is being too concerned about what other people are going to think. And I know that's really hard in, in our society in this age of social media where everything you do, you put out and people can judge you for it. But I really think that that I'm, I'm much happier today than I was in my 20s because I just kind of don't give a shit about what people think about what I do. I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. And it, and it's been awesome. You know, I, I, I don't mean to say that I'm a narcissist out there just doing, you know, only things that please me, but instead of worrying about what, you know, my 60,000 Instagram followers think, I'm really just worried about what my mom and dad think, what my business partner thinks, what my sister and brother-in-law and my girlfriend think. And, you know, outside of those, those immediate family members and friends, like, does everybody else's opinion really matter? Do you really care if there's some 18-year-old girl in your in your pastry uh, baking class that thinks that you're too old? Right, no, exactly. get out there and get out there and uh, and bake the hell out of it. I mean, live your life and enjoy every second of it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the distinction that you're drawing to is really the only way to survive while also doing things publicly, whether that's social media or whatever, to be really clear on, okay, this is this, you know, small or whatever size inner circle of people whose feedback actually really matters to me. But then other than that, I can't let, you know, everything that I do or think be swayed by what random X person on the internet thinks, you know? Yeah, you've got to just, uh, you've got to just really narrow it down to the people that matter and, and, you know, block out the people that don't and not to say that you know a stranger's opinion doesn't matter i i absolutely think everyone's opinion matters but in in terms of how i'm going to live my life there are the people that uh that i trust and confide in and then there's everybody else well yeah i mean but i think that i don't know what i'm taking from what you're saying is this idea that you know you have to someone has to earn a certain level of intimacy in order for you then their opinion to be it's not that someone you know yes, Sally yeah, from exactly. Florida it's not that her opinions don't matter it's how much <laughs> weight you Sally right, exactly <laughs> how much weight you're going to put on that has to do with okay well what's happened in this relationship that like I need to yeah. value this person's opinion yeah so, and you know what's what's crazy and, and like I said I'm not not that we're you know wise beyond our years or anything but I don't know about you I've had friends that were trusted confidants and really close people in my inner circle for years and then for whatever reason they did something or, you know, it's for some reason our morals or ideals didn't align and they're no longer part of that inner circle. And that's okay. 
You know, it's, it's not that just because you were really close with someone in high school or college or something that they are going to be a part of your life forever. Um, sometimes people outgrow each other. And, and I think I've always said, um, and I, a lot of people have always said that you can have about, you know, 10 to 20 people in your life, really close relationships. And I've always wanted to be the kind of guy that, that keeps those 10 to 20 relationships really well maintained than trying to, to keep a hundred different relationships going and try to keep a hundred different people happy. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard, especially with uh, our digital era where we can connect with people from, you know, from our entire lives. But I, I try really hard to focus on the 10 or 20 relationships that are really, really important to me. Yeah, I mean, and I think that what you said, I mean, preach about like those relationships are not going to be the same forever. I think that that's true with all kinds of changes that just because something is in your life, like whether that's a hobby or a job or a career path or, you know, a certain friendship doesn't mean that it's going to be the same fit forever. You either grow together or you don't. And I think, I don't know, I, th- I think that that's not only okay, I think that it's good. I think we have to give ourselves and each other permission to change. Yes, definitely. So you mentioned the advice about, you know, you do something for 23 days and it becomes a habit. I know that you've worked with incredible coaches, mentors. What are some other really pieces of advice um, that have stuck with you? You know, I think most of the advice I've been given is about athletics and training. And and those are all good things and they've been very helpful for me. But, uh, you know, for a more gen- more generic advice that I've been given, I think there's one piece of advice that has stuck with me and helped me in every aspect of my life, and is is really um, is something that, that all people can apply. And that's uh, my my mentor and my business partner. I call him Coach Sam. And uh, you know, at this point, we have more of just a best friend business partner relationship. But early on, 20 years ago, when we started working together it really was a coach athlete relationship. And, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he was so successful and I really wanted to be like, and I said, coach, you know, tell me how are you, how you've got this beautiful family, this wonderful home, this great business, you know, you, you're so successful. What, how, what is it that makes you this way? And he just says, dude, it's really easy. It's just perseverance. And that just seemed like oversimplifying something really complicated. And I wanted to him to actually give me the step-by-step plan and so I kind of was just like, man, this guy's just blowing smoke up my ass. But after working with him for 20 years, after, you know, th- me personally throwing in the towel a dozen times and having him grab me by the scruff of the neck and saying, hey, you're not quitting, you're not giving up and teaching me perseverance, I now truly, truly understand what he meant. Uh, no matter what it is in life, no matter whether you're trying to be a great spouse or uh, run in an Olympic final or be a great entrepreneur. There's only one thing, literally only one thing that separates the successful from the failures. And that's just perseverance. There will always, always be obstacles in anything worth doing. And there will be people that throw on the towel. And I have been that person. Trust me, I have. And there will be people that persevere. And those that persevere, those that always believe there's a way around every obstacle they're successful in life and they're successful in almost all aspects of their life so how do you reconcile that with times when actually the best thing to do is to quit something and move on i think perseverance is is not just banging your head against the wall it's saying okay i need to find a way around this obstacle now that's not to say let's say you have a tanking business you shouldn't persevere that thing all the way into bankruptcy it might be saying is it the business that i'm passionate about or is it being an entrepreneur that i'm passionate about Mm. and maybe saying goodbye 
to one chapter of your life as an entrepreneur is allowing you to persevere on to your next project. And, you know, I think about a, you know, think about a marathon uh, or think about a race that's not going well. Uh, you could say to yourself, oh, I have to finish this race. You know, if I don't, then I won't have persevered. Or maybe by dropping out of that race and saving your, your, uh, your legs and saving your energy, it allows you to persevere through that season to get to the race that really matters. And I, I can tell you, I, I haven't dropped out of many races, but the ones I have dropped out of have been because I knew that there was a bigger, more important goal or prize at the end of the season that I needed to really, um, I need, really needed to really work towards. And so it's about having a big picture. It's about not being myopic and, and again, just banging your head against the wall. Uh, it's about persevering through all obstacles, even if, if that's the, uh, the one in your own head that, that's telling you um, this is the most important goal. It might not be. Yeah. Oh my God. That's such good advice. I'm just like sitting here like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> preach. Be, be my life coach. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously you've, you've done a ton of races. I can actually, how many races do you think that you've run just off the top of your head? Oh my gosh. So I've been running competitively for 20 years, probably on average 20, 25. Now, nah, if you talk count cross country, it might be more than that. Okay, somewhere between 500 and 1,000 races Man. in my life. Okay. Are there any that stick out to you as something that you feel exceptionally proud of, like who you were in that race? The two that jump to mind are the 2008 Olympic trials when I made my first Olympic team. And that was really special because I, it was a dream that I'd had for you know over a decade. And, and to finally do that, to tick that box and become an Olympian, it was just, I mean, truly a dream come true. And the other one was in 2013 when I finished number two at the world championships and won a silver medal. And that is, you know, persistence personified. I mean, I had, I had tried to quick track and field for, you know, every season for almost 20 years. I, and I really, I just thought I've done everything in track and field that I wanted to. I've, you know, won state titles, national titles, broken four in the mile, uh, made two Olympic teams, but the one goal that had eluded me was winning a, a global medal, a, a medal at a world or Olympic games. And I, I'd made four finals. I, I thought I'm just not, I'm always meant to be the bridesmaid. I'll never be the bride. I'll never win a medal. And that, that day in Moscow, Russia, when I finished second, it was kind of just like, it, it put all of my anxiety and fears at rest. It was like, okay, I've done it. I've proven that I could win a medal and that was, uh, it was a real, it was like the cherry on top of a cake. And without that cherry, the, the cake's a great cake, but it wasn't finished yet. And winning that medal was what gave me peace of mind that if I'd never ran another race in my life, I had done all that I had set out to do. Mm-hmm. Everything else after that would just be, you know, bonus. Okay, so what I love the most about what you just said is I think that... I don't know, when we talk about goals or any kind of conversation around goal setting and everyone always says, you know, enjoy the journey and it's not about the end result. And obviously there's like <laughs> some wisdom there, but like, I think it's, I don't know, it's really beautiful and the honesty of what you just said that like, no, I wanted to win a medal. Like that was important to me that I think that sometimes we forget that it's perfectly okay to be wildly competitive and to want the end result as well as finding like enjoyment in the pursuit. Yeah. And you know, it took me a long time to get there. I worked really closely with a sports psychologist Jeff Trosh. And I said to Jeff, I'm like, Jeff, 
you know, I'm, and this, I, when I contact him and I was, you know, ranked number one in the U S for many years and was ranked probably top five in the world. So I was like, Jeff, don't worry about me, man. I'm a, you know, I always win. I'm, I'm a champion. What I need you to help me with is finding meaning in all this and being happy. And he laughed and he's like, well, we can work on that, but let's work on making you great also. And it was just such a great sports psychologist in the sense that he knew if I was happy and enjoying myself and taking pleasure in the process, the results would come. But it had to be about the results too. So just to jog around in circles and be happy is nice. And, and that is, it's good to enjoy the journey. But at the end of the day, you know, I believe that performance matters. I believe that results matter. I believe that there needs to be some skin in the game. And I was investing time and energy. I was sacrificing so many things. And to do that, the results had to, had to mean something to me. And that medal, that uh, vali- the validity of winning that medal and proving that I could do it, it's what got me out of bed every morning. I, I, I owed that to myself. I'd been doing this for 15 years. I, I had to find out if I had that in me. And sure enough, I did. And that's why that particular moment in time is probably the most rewarding for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kate said something similar uh, when the last time she was on the show, we were talking about this idea that like, it's, it's okay to be disappointed. Like, it's okay to want something really badly and to really go for it and to have it not work out. And I think that there's... I think it's, yeah, it's better It's better to have it not work out than to not have anything you're going for at all. Or, I mean, to, that's not, or to lie to yourself. And like, I remember yeah. one of the, some of the really good advice that I got when I first started running, it was, I don't know, it was really early on. I think it was my first 5k that I ever did and my secret goal was that I wanted to run it in under 30 minutes like that to me was like never gonna happen it was so impossible (laughs) and I remember someone asked me what I wanted to do you know and I said oh well I just want to finish I just want to whatever and they definitely called me on my bullshit they were like no that's what do you actually want to have happen like I wasn't willing to own what I wanted because I was so afraid of not reaching it but I don't know like I don't think you're do you do yourself any favors with that no and a good thing to talk about is accountability uh we're all uh, I am I, I am 100% this way right now at my age at 32 I'm the grandfather of team USA and I'm about to put it out there that my goal is to make the world team in 2017 it's absurd 33 year olds shouldn't be professional runners let alone trying to make another world team or trying to win a world medal and I'm I'm a little bit scared about putting that out there because I know people are going to rip me apart. They're going to say, you're too old. You know, just why are you retiring? You're an embarrassment to your sponsors. Yeah, and I get this online all the time. I don't, I don't care about that as much. But it is it is kind of scary to put that out there because I'm now accountable for that goal. I'm accountable for, for that training and, and trying my best uh, to accomplish what I've put out there publicly. And I know it's scary. And, and whether you're trying to break 30 in the 5K, whether you're trying to break you know, um, four hours for the marathon, I think it is important to tell somebody, tell a friend, uh, tell your husband, tell your wife, tell the internet, put it out there and become accountable because the days that it's very hard to, to pursue greatness, the days that it's hard to get out of bed and get those miles in or, or accomplish whatever you want to accomplish, you need to be held accountable. And, you know, that's why, that's why coaches exist. That's why uh, mentors exist. Uh, a, a certain sense of accountability. Without that, I would not have accomplished the things that I've accomplished. 
Yeah, I mean, and I would even, you know, the people that are going to say you're an embarrassment to your sponsors, I mean, first of all, <laughs> first of all they're wrong. Because I think <laughs> I think the opposite is completely true where, I mean, I guess it's the nuance of why someone sponsors anyone. And that's something, of course, we can talk about. But, you know, as just a regular amateur runner, you know, looking at someone like you who's a pro and who's sponsored this kind of stuff, I actually find that to be super empowering. Like, hey, he look what he's trying to do at, you know, like you said, being the <clears> grandfather <throat> of Team USA. I don't know, like, I think that there's something really cool because sponsors... Like, they are, for the most part, trying to sell stuff to people just like me, right? That it's like, it's not just like the elites of the world that, you know, the people that, I don't know. So I think, I think your sponsors actually get more from the humanizing story of like, no, I'm not done. I want to try one more time. It's true. Well, I'm a businessman at the end of the day, and I understand that. And of course, the businessmen at these shoe companies understand it. But the average person that looks at a pro thinks, well, they're only getting sponsored because they're fast. But that's really only 10%, 20% of the whole the whole reason. I mean, as a company that sponsors, a owner of a company that sponsors athletes, when we sit down and talk about who we're going to sponsor at RunGum, maybe only 5%, 10% is about what times they've run. We, we almost could care less about how fast they've run if, if they have a great, brand and they're honest and they're authentic and they they interact with their community and they're uh, active on social I mean, those are the kind of things we really care about you know just because the if, if you're an athlete that just holds yourself up in a cabin for 11 months and comes out once a year to race and you race really well well that's nice but you know as a company that doesn't really help us so i've always tried to think about that as an athlete as well you know, whether it's Brooks or uh, any any of my the companies that I represent, how can I make sure that I'm getting their logo, that I'm telling their story in as many places as possible? And to all the pros out there or aspiring pros out there, you know, really ask yourself that. How am I making sure that, that my brand as an athlete is a brand that other companies want to associate with? Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard you say that you're not a runner, that you're an entertainer. And I thought that was an interesting yeah. way to look at it. Well, I mean, really, when you think about it, I don't think I've ever been paid a single dollar to run, not one single dollar to run. I have been paid to sell products, uh, whether it's the Brooks trainers on my sh- uh, on my feet that I'm, that I'm selling to people, whether it's uh, the Soleus running watch on my wrist, or whether I'm, a- I'm at a track race and the meat director has paid me money to sell tickets. I've never once in my entire life been paid to run. I've been paid to entertain and to sell products. And people in my sport thinks that's that's blasphemy. You're a professional runner. What are you talking about? I'm like, no, but honestly, think about it. What do you actually get paid for? And uh, and when you really think about it, it it's, it's to entertain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I would love for you to tell the story of the tattoo sponsorship. Um, well, that's a great one. It goes all the way back to 2000 and. Oh gosh, 2011 and 12. Uh, you know, I, I saw that there were so many square inches of advertising space available on an athlete, from the singlet to the skin to the headband. I mean, just all of these these places to advertise. And for some reason, we'd been limited to just one spot: uh, our, our our jerseys and our shorts, and our, I guess our shoes as well. And because of these limitations, there were only about five, six companies that came to play when it came time to. Uh, negotiate contracts and uh, Nike, Brooks, Adidas, the shoe manufacturers seem to be the only ones that took any interest. I'm like, I'd talked to other companies. I knew there were other companies out there that wanted to invest in track and field athletes. And to prove that, 
I created an eBay auction in 2012 uh, for about, what was it, six square inches of skin on my shoulder and put it up for auction and said, hey, it's an Olympic year. You know, I'm going to compete in London and who wants to come along for the ride? Mostly just seeing, you know, my fans uh, that I thought they'd get a kick out of it. And it went from 99 cents was the reserve price I set. It went to $11,100 uh, to a marketing agency in Milwaukee called Hanson Dodge Creative. And it was just such a great story for them, um, getting to work with an athlete. For me, putting myself out there, taking a risk, and, and making some serious money in the process. Um, it, was, uh, it was more about protesting the antiquated rules that govern track and field. But uh, all in all, I, I took a risk and it paid off massively. And. So, ahead, okay, sorry. so, yeah, no, 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 I, I mean, I think this is, like, one of my favorite stories about you, or just, I think this is so, so clever. Um, so then, so they win this, the $11,000, whatever, and they win it, and so then that small, like, space of skin that you auctioned off, you, what, had it, it was a temporary tattoo that you yeah, wore I during just, all competitions? I had these decals or? made, and uh, I would just put one on before every competition, said, Hanson Dodge Creative, and... Um, it, it, but it went so much beyond that. Like that was cool. And, and they got their name in New York times and wall street journal and uh, all of these different, uh, media outlets. You know, if you, they were to buy those impressions, it would have cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. So just, just winning the auction, they got a massive ROI. Uh, but to double down on their bet, they then invested another 20 or $30,000 in content creation and Hanson Dodge Creative is a marketing company that really believes that content is king and in, in if you understand marketing you understand how important content is to in this day and age if whether it's a tweet or an Instagram post or a YouTube story um, telling your brand story telling telling the consumer what makes this brand unique what makes this product unique is everything in a world where we are just constantly inundated with with information being able to tell a, a unique story really well it's hard to do and Hanson Dodge had the unique story but then they hit it out of the park telling that and they invested in a YouTube series they invested in a website for me um, they told this story so many times and they told it so well uh, that it, it, it made what was a cool story into basically one of the top talked about stories of 2012 and uh it, it was really beneficial for me it was really beneficial for them and it was exactly what i'd hoped for when i put that on ebay back in in january of 2012 yeah and, and what it did i mean i'm thinking back i remember like when this happened in real time right like so watching this that was really kind of my first exposure to all of the restrictions that are on you guys as athletes in mm -hmm. terms of like the limitations on I, th I think that the general public assumes that professional runners make a lot more money than they actually do or that they don't yeah. know you know and so when you had to cover the tattoo for certain races you know that even that like really started or brought me into a conversation that I didn't know about oh they're not a they're not really allowed to take ownership of a lot of their own like, earning potential yeah you know really track and field or, or pro running in general it's a semi-pro sport we are a sport that is um, governed by a, a numerous different NGOs whether it's the IOC uh, the IAAF the USATF these are a lot of acronyms but they're just the governing bodies that control track and field they have confiscated all of the advertising space, most of it. They have put absurd restrictions on what the athletes can do, say, uh, where they can, and when they can race. And 
doing this has, has basically totally limited the athlete's earning potential such that over 50% of professional track and field athletes in America live below the poverty line. And the powers that be say, well, it's just because track and field's not very popular, which is absolute bullshit. I know it's not tra- that track and field isn't football or baseball, but there are literally billions, not millions, but billions of dollars generated by track and field. Just almost less, I would argue that less than 1% of them ever make it back to the actual athletes. And that's horrible. You know, if you look at NFL, if you look at NHL, if you look at any of the major, major uh, um, leagues, they have a 50% revenue sharing model in place. Do you want to know what the IOC shares with their athletes directly? Oh my gosh. I mean, no, but yes. <laughs> Zero dollars. 0.0 goes directly to the athletes. Man. Of four billion. Four billion dollars exchanged hands at the games and zero went directly to the athletes. Man, so, and I know this is something that you have been more outspoken on, I mean, especially in the last couple of years. Um, I mean, do you, what do you see the future of this being? Like, do you think it's going to change? I don't. I mean, there, I, I have tried over almost 10 years now uh, as an athlete to utilize public awareness um, to to create some leverage and it's pissed off the governing bodies it's done a really good job of that and but and, it, and it's got the athletes kind of more more knowledgeable about the what's going on and, and who's taking their money but nothing's really changed uh, I really do believe that the only, there's only two paths to change here one is through a unified athlete voice. And I think that there's a fledgling organization called the Track and Field Athletes Association. Uh, if the athletes can unite and and utilize uh, one common voice to leverage their concerns, then they really have a chance to make some change. The only other path towards change that I see is corporate litigation. Uh, I, I do believe that these governing bodies are violating U.S. antitrust law. I happen to have a uh, a really great legal team that agrees with me and my company RunGum has actually taken USOC and USATF to court and we are suing them on uh, grounds that they are violating US antitrust law. Yeah, I mean, and all of this stuff, I mean, obviously these kind of large scale changes would be amazing, but I feel like it even in the meantime or in addition to, it just underscores the importance of what you were saying before about really taking charge of your own personal brand. Yeah, and that's everything. It's, it's saying... It's, it's really viewing yourself as a business and not as an employee. And I bet, and this is maybe unfair of me to say, but if you were to go ask a hundred different professional athletes, professional runners who are all sponsored by Nike and Adidas and Brooks and all of the different companies, if you talk to a hundred and say, you know, who do you work for? I bet you 98 or 99 out of a hundred would say, oh, I work for the shoe company. When in reality, not a single one of them is an employee. So there's 12 members of the Brooks Beast Track Club, and I love them all to death, but I think that they all think that they work for Brooks, when in fact, they're independent contractors that run their own business. And I learned this really early on because my mentor, Coach Sam, is a businessman, and, and he said from day one, don't, let, don't for a minute think that you work for these companies. You are an independent contractor. You own your own business. You can contract your services to multiple companies. And so I, I incorporated early on, and Nick Simmons LLC is a company that I own that handles all of the business of my running career, but you know, maybe only 1% of tr- professional a- track and field athletes ever incorporate. Yeah, that, oh, man, that's so interesting. So what, have there been any, I don't know, either tips you want to share or lessons that you've learned about 
personal branding or, you know, you mentioned being a mentor to, you know, the other Brooks people, the Brooks teammates, like how, what would you want to share about this concept of personal branding? Again, and I'll just reiterate it. The only thing, the first step in understanding branding, the first step in understanding, uh, being a professional athlete in the true sense of the term is understanding that you do not work for your sponsor. And there are, there in, I've read multiple contracts. There are clauses in there that very explicitly say you are at no point to consider yourself an employee of this company. And you don't get any benefits from the company that you would if you were an employee. As soon as you understand that you're an independent contractor that doesn't work for the company, instead you work with the company, all of the leverage, all of the power suddenly shifts back onto your shoulders. I don't work for Brooks. I work with Brooks. Mm. And because I don't work for them, I have all the power. I mean, I have, I have much more power as an independent contractor than I would as an employee. Yeah. And, and, that, and that is empowering as a business owner. And I, I would just encourage all my fellow professional track and field athletes to understand that they work for themselves. They do not work for anybody else. They don't work for their agent and they don't work for the shoe companies. Yeah. I mean, and I think the same is true for freelancers or creatives or, you know, other, like, I think that advice could be applied to so much more than just athletics. Yeah, anyone working on an independent contracting basis, uh, always remember that you work with a company and not for a company. Yeah. Okay. So since we're talking about personal branding and your image, obviously you have been, I don't know, a public figure, if that's what we're going to call it, for, for a long time, right? And I'm curious, what's one thing that you think that people assume about you maybe, but that isn't actually true? Like how is public Nick different <laughs> from private Nick? That's a great question. You know, I as, a, as someone who has said, you know, my job is about being entertaining. Uh, I, I try to be entertaining, whether it's on social or on the track. I think people think that I have this attention whore, that I'm obsessed with the spotlight. I am a kid that grew up in Boise, Idaho, spending all my time in the mountains. I'm an Eagle Scout. I'm an avid fly fisherman. I'm happiest when I'm on the side of a mountain by myself. I do not love the spotlight. I love that the spotlight allows me to sell products, which is what my freaking job is. So I think those that don't know, those that know me well, know that I, I actually kind of dislike the spotlight. Um, I find it stressful. Those that that know me as a as a brand or as a public figure think that I'm just obsessed with it and. I hate to break it to you guys, but I'm really just trying to sell products. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love your honesty so much. I mean, I remember, I don't remember what the source was, but that I have, I think from multiple different sources, heard you referred to as the Brad Pitt of track and field. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's I actually hired a, a publicist for a few years and he he's the one that came up with that. And everyone's thinking, oh, Nick's just into publicity stunts and he's got a publicist and he's just a prima donna. And I'm like, you could think that, or you could say, "Here's a guy who just signed, you know, a fantastic contract that, uh, you know, in many in many ways, I haven't done a lot of the things that would dictate I should still be running at the age of 33 professionally." But mm-hmm. you know what? I built a solid brand that people want to associate with, uh, that companies want to associate with, that people want to follow, um, and and I, I will be the first one to tell you. I am surprised that I'm still running professionally, that people, that brands still want to associate with me. But I did work my butt off for a, more than a decade to create that brand that, uh, that that people were interested in. Yeah. I mean, do you do you think that that has made it 
any less challenging, you know, you mentioned the ankle injury, things like that. Like, I don't know, like in talking to other professional athletes or maybe just projecting my assumptions onto them, like if your livelihood is dependent on, you know, what your body can do and then all of a sudden you get injured, you know, right before the Olympics or something like that, like it just seems like it would be such a crushing, I don't know, like I feel like you've built something that's, but that's bigger than that almost. Well, I tried to and I, I, I suppose in some ways I had, but I always knew I was one wrong step away from all of this coming crashing down. I was one, uh, one twisted ankle or, or one stress fracture, or, you know, one injury of just everything that I'd worked for, everything that I'd built coming to an instant stop, no more money, no more spotlight. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that, that I worked so hard to create this brand that could, could hopefully survive my retirement. It's one of the reasons that I, at the age of 25, I said, I cannot train to full capacity if my entire livelihood is dependent on running income. Yeah. So I, I partnered with Coach Sam and we started a business. Um, we've we've started multiple businesses actually. And as soon as my income and my livelihood wasn't 100% linked to my training, it freed me up to train harder. I was able to push my own limits even further because I had no uh, no reservations. I had no question in my back of my mind, should I be doing this? Could this be, you know, risking injury. I just trained my ass and I said, listen, if, if then if the running money is over, I'll still pay my bills. But right now I'm, I'm more concerned with seeing how good I can get. I'm more concerned with pushing my own limits and it truly freed me up to be more vocal, to train harder. And those things ultimately led to more success. I mean, yeah, because what you just described of, you know, always being one step, one sprained ankle away from everything crashing. Like, that sounds like the most stressful. (laughs) Even hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, my God. And and at the time, I was under a Nike contract. And many Nike, actually, I believe they they have publicly said this, but most, if not all Nike contracts have what are called reduction clauses. And a reduction clause means that if you don't perform to a certain standard, if you don't run a certain time or, or make a certain team, they have the right to reduce your contract. And it's a, it's a really stressful way to live your life. I remember th- laying at night, um, you know, staring at the ceiling, just thinking, I, I'm injured right now. And if I don't do this in this many days, my contract's going to be cut or reduced. And it is just, when you're injured, you need to focus on, on you being healthy and being terrified about your financial situation really does not help. I mean, I can imagine. I remember this might seem like a strange parallel, but my mother was a flight attendant with TWA for, I don't know, 18 years before I was born, you know, for a long time. And that was, you know, back in the day when they used to have weigh-ins and they used to, you know, your job was contingent upon, okay, well, you can't get any weight and you're basically a model. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when she would describe how unbelievably stressful that was and how much that messed with like her body image and so many other things like that. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I'm one too big of a meal before a weigh-in away from not having a job. (laughs) It's too stressful. It's very scary. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so something that I'd love to talk about a little bit, because um, it's a personal obsession of mine, this idea of how to close the gap between what we say we want and what we actually do, which I think is something mm-hmm. that a lot of people are interested in. I'm curious for you how, I don't know if the right question is how you get the best out of yourself, but if there's any specific tangible things you've found that if done regularly really help you to be your best, whether that's habits or thought processes, like what works for you? You know, I, I think we're, we're as a species, you know, very prone to putting these lofty goals out there. And it's so easy to say, well, I, okay, I'm, I, I'm a business owner, so I'll use my business, for example. Um, you know, Run Gum is a, is a small but quickly growing brand, and I would like it to be a billion-dollar brand. So the mistake would be to just say, 
okay, my goal is to make Brungum a billion-dollar brand. And and some people will even go as far as to write that down on paper. That's, I mean, that's a huge step. Okay, Rungum, billion-dollar brand, done. And then they leave it at that. That is like, it's just a wish. You know, what is the phrase? Um, a goal without a plan is just a wish. And it's so true. Without a plan to get there, without short-term, intermediate, and long-term goals, then that is just a wish. And it's just it's just floating out there, and it's it's meaningless. So I've all, whether it was in running or whether it was in business or even my personal relationships, I've always put a short-term, an intermediate, and a long-term goal out there. And they have to work towards each other. Um, so getting away from business, let's look at track and field. Um, a long-term goal for me this year is to make the 2017 world team and to win a medal there. I've done it before. I know I can do it again. I want to win a medal at the 2017 world championships. Well, I can barely put one foot in front of the other right now. So putting that out there is pretty much meaningless. It's it's nice, but it's meaningless. Uh, what's a, a, a short-term goal could be tomorrow I know I need to do a 10-mile long run. Uh, it's going to be slow and painful, and it's not going to feel good. And actually doing it is going to make me think that my long-term goal is unrealistic. But I don't need to worry about that right now. I just need to worry about accomplishing my short-term goal. Get out of bed and run 10 miles tomorrow. You know, once I've done that, I need to also think that I'm working towards an intermediate goal, and I try to pick a race, a realistic race that's maybe two or three months out, that will put me on a trajectory towards realizing my long-term goal. And so, in the long long story short, tomorrow is going to help me race in January. It's going to help me become a world champion in in August, and I will write those down. Uh, there will be every single week, my goals, every single day for that matter, my goals will change. Uh, once I've done my 10 miler tomorrow, I'm going to sit down and write out next week's training plan. And then I have, a, you know, seven more short-term goals that I have to tick off. And the race in January might shift to a race in February. You know, I don't know. Goals can change. They should change. But the one thing, the constant that doesn't change is where I'm trying to get, you know, how I'm trying to get from point A to point B, and, and there may be some, be some detours along the way, but I always know where I'm trying to go. And so to anyone, no matter where you're trying to go, in any walk of life, if you write your goals down, if you write a short, intermediate, and a long-term goal down, and more importantly, if you share those goals with somebody and have some accountability, you will have put yourself ahead of 99% of other goal setters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so it sounds like what really works for you is specificity and accountability. Absolutely. I mean, again, without those two things, you, it's you're you're a one person show on a lonely island, and, yeah. and there is you're really doing it by yourself. You're yeah. fantasizing, which yeah. is fine, but it's not the same thing, right? So, okay, so you know, assuming that you have the specificity, you have the accountability, you have all that in place, I'd love to dig into your mental toughness toolbox a little bit. Like, let's say I don't know, you've been running high mileage for weeks on end, and you're nowhere close to that exciting competition that's like the dangling carrot, and you wake up in the morning and you feel heavy and tired, and you just do not want to run. Like, what helps mm-hmm. you with that? Well, one is the accountability for sure. Um, two is is having done this so many times and been to that position, been in that moment, in that mind frame so many times. I know that it's temporary. I know that I'll crawl out of it. Uh, and two, and call it a shameless plug, but I created a product specifically for those days. Uh, Run Gum is about increased energy and focus. It's everything that's in an energy drink put into two pieces of chewing gum. Um, 
it, those afternoons where I'm like, I cannot double today. I'm, I, it's cold and rainy and I'm so tired and I'm so over it. Um, and I want to cut that corner and, and cheat myself out of what I need to be doing. If I pop two pieces of run gum, um, it's, it's not going to, it's not like I'm, uh, you know, suddenly amped up and out the door running sub four minute milers, but it's enough to get me out the door. Uh, and I think anyone who's used caffeine as a functional product understands what I'm talking about. When you have that big meeting and you're, you're kind of yawning and you're nervous for it and you have that cup of coffee and you go in and you hit it out of the park, caffeine is a performance enhancing drug. Absolutely. And anyone who tells you differently has, has not studied the effects of caffeine. I'm a biochemist by trade. Uh, and I'm telling you, caffeine is a performance enhancing drug. I believe that the best way to get it into the system is, is via chewing gum, not through liquids. Um, we can have that, that argument for sure. But, uh, I really, I really do believe that there is a, there's a, a place, uh, in most people's lives for, for caffeine to, to be an enhancer. Okay, so something I want to underscore before we talk about run gum, because I have lots of questions about that also. Yeah. Um, I love what you said just when we, a minute ago when we were talking about, you know, what to do when you're really not in the mood. You said about that you've been around the block so many times with this and have the experience to know that that feeling will pass. I think that that's so, so important because, I don't know, for me, like I think of, I've so often gotten in my head about, oh my God, well, I'm really not in the mood. What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm not motivated? Does it mean I'm not going to reach my goal? You know, like we blow yeah. everything out of proportion instead oh, it of just... Anything. It doesn't you know, mean anything. I've had, yeah. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It means literally nothing. I've had days where um, one day I'm like, I, I honestly, I think I just need to retire. I, I cannot run one more day. I, I am so burnt out. And the next day, woken up and had a, a 12 mile long run where I'm like, oh, I love this. This feels great. This is awesome. I have no idea what I was thinking about. It's the so body's funny. Weird. Yeah, the no, body no. works in cyclical patterns and you're going to have bad days and you're going to have amazing days. And you do this enough and you just get used to it. Yeah. You just It's part of the job. I mean, I think that that's just not layering like extra meaning onto something and being able to separate like your feelings from reality that like for me now, I mean, even like with my small amount of running experience to be able to say like, I don't have to be in the mood to do something in order to do it. Like to know that that's mm-hmm. true is just the most helpful thing ever for me. Yeah, absolutely. So run gum, tell me about the day that you decided to start this company. Like what problem were you trying to solve for yourself? All right, it's going to get graphic, so bear with me. All right, I was it was 2013. No, it must have been yeah, 2013. And I've, I, as again, I, I have a degree in biochemistry, and for since 2006 when I graduated, we were always looking for legal performance enhancers. Now I never ever messed with anything that was banned, but my coach, coach Sam, and I were always looking for something that would give us just a little bit of an edge. You know, in my in my event. A tenth of a second can be the difference between winning and losing, and often is. And if I could find just the the right combination of stimulants that gave me even a 1% advantage, that would be massive. And I studied caffeine, I studied taurine, I studied B vitamins, I studied many, many different stimulants. And I found that the ones that were working best for me, I found in an energy drink. And so I would drink this energy drink before most practices and most races, and I I had massive success with it. But more often than not, after the race or the workout, I would have to throw up. And and it was really scary to me because I was throwing up so much. And I remember I was at the Occidental Invite in Southern California, and I ran 336 for a 1500, which converts to about a 355 mile. Uh, It was the fastest I'd ever run. And I threw my arms up and the crowd went wild and, you know, I'd won the race and I was ready to take my victory lap. 
and I couldn't. I, I collapsed at the finish line and started projectile vomiting energy drink everywhere. Sexy. And it was, I like yeah, it, right? Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> really, you know, proud moment for me. And, you know, I, I looked up at Coach and he was laughing and I was not laughing. And I just said, I'm so fed up with this crap. I, I want the stimulants, but I don't want the sugar. I don't want the carbonation. I don't want the liquid. I don't want this heavy, nasty product sloshing around in my stomach while I'm trying to be to perform optimally. And it kind of hit me that, you know, I knew there was a better way. Uh, it took me a year to, to find the manufacturer, to refine the formula, to really bring the product to market. But it was always going to be functional chewing gum. And let me explain why. Chewing gum is such a better delivery vehicle than water for this. So when you chew gum, there is a cognitive uh, increase. The teachers around America actually pass out sticks of gum to their students before they take standardized tests because it can be uh, it, it, just chewing has been shown to be performance enhancing. Interesting. Um, exactly, and and chewing gum allows these stimulants to be. Uh, absorbed sublingually, so uh, in the lining of the mouth, as opposed to through your through your lining of your stomach, which makes it much faster. So instead of drinking, you know, a heavy liquid and then sitting around for thirty or forty minutes waiting for it to get into your system, you chew run gum and this hits you like a train. I mean, you're, you're in under five minutes, you literally feel it. Um, you can chew it, absorb the active ingredients, and spit it out, and it's a zero calorie, zero sugar, um, gluten free totally amazing product uh, that allows you to perform optimally, allows you to, to enhance your performance without anything weighing you down, without anything in your stomach hurting you. I built it for myself. I really actually created this product because I needed it in training. Um, and then Sam and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, I think there's so many people, not only runners, but cyclists and hikers and and people running into a minute last uh, meeting last minute or uh, late late for work in the mornings that could really benefit from this product. And so we we created what is now run gum. And we didn't have a name for it at first, of course, but we took two pieces of chewing gum and put them into a, a foil, waterproof foil packet. And that is run gum. And, and in that packet is 100 milligrams of caffeine, 40 milligrams of taurine and B vitamins in two pieces of chewing gum. Uh, it is chemically very similar to an energy-free, uh, uh, excuse me, a sugar-free energy drink. Uh, and it has been so helpful for me in running, in mountaineering, in, in business. We've been in business, actually, we just celebrated our second uh, anniversary, uh, our two-year birthday um, on October 14th. And we are we are scaling very quickly. This is a, a very rapidly growing business. Uh, it's exciting. It's terrifying at the same time. Uh, again, we, we have long-term goals and short-term goals, and we're constantly altering our, our short-term goals to keep us on track. But it has been, uh, it has been a, one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done is, is bringing this product to market. Okay, so here's my very personal, selfish question about this. So mm -hmm. I am not a caffeine drinker. Just I never, I've never liked coffee, so I never drank it. Mm -hmm. Never liked soda. Didn't drink it. Don't really drink caffeinated tea. Just I mean, basically, I don't drink caffeine, but I'm, I'm interested in it. And yeah. so I have not tried Run Gum, but I would like to. And here's my so, yeah. okay. So here's my question. So for maybe I mean for someone like me, I don't know. Most people probably <laughs> consume more caffeine than I do, but how is it best used? Is it something that's like before, like let's use running as an example, like before a key workout or a race mm -hmm. or like is it, do you find that there's like a decreased benefit from using it? Like if you were to use it every day, like is there like an, then yeah. your tolerance, I don't, all those kind of things are what I'm I've curious got, about. I've got lots of answers. All right, good, all break it down. So the first, the first thing that comes to mind is 
uh, my coach Sam. It reminds me. You say you don't you, you don't use caffeine particularly much, but my coach uh, Sam was raised Mormon and had never ever had caffeine uh, in significant quantities until we created this product. And he, you know, I would be drinking coffee or drinking my Red Bull or and another energy product, and he'd be like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "I just need it. You don't understand." And then we created Run Gum. And he understood and he <laughs> chews more run gum than he probably ought to. He's on a four or five pack day habit now and we're going to have to wean him off that. But he he understands just how amazing this product is and how functional caffeine is as a performance enhancer. Uh, some scientific studies show that caffeine uh, at the right quantities in, in endurance athletics can have a 3% boost. And I know everyone's like, well, 3%, what's that mean? I'm talking 3%. This is a significant, significant yeah, no, amount of that's uh, why of I'm boost. interested in it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in a, what, let's, I mean, I'm not great with math, but in my event, that's three seconds. I mean, again, I was telling you, I'm trying to find a tenth of a second, and 3% in my event is three full seconds. So, uh, you know, Coach Sam uh, has, has found use for this. Uh, efficacy and, and tolerance are things that, uh, are brought up a lot when you talk about drugs, uh, any kind of drug. I think that uh, those of you who uh, maybe started with a cup a day and are now on a five cup of coffee day uh, habit, or your uh, your your tall latte turned into a grande, turned into a venti, you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, your body will develop a tolerance for caffeine, um, and so I always encourage people, you know, understand how your body processes caffeine understand how your body tolerates it. Um, I personally like to drink coffee in the mornings. Uh, it's a ritual. I grew up doing it. Uh, I still like doing it, even though I own an energy company. Uh, in the afternoons, the last thing I want is another cup of coffee. I know I need something to get me out the door for my run, or I need something to get me through my meetings. That's where Run Gum has been, really been useful product for me. Um, if I'm running, I like to chew both pieces, so a full pack for about 10 minutes um, to absorb all the active ingredients and then I spit it out and I, I feel great. Um, in the afternoons, if I'm going into a meeting um, where I can chew gum, I, I, I'd like to chew the gum for the entire hour or however long the meeting is because again, chewing has that cognitive effect, that increase in cognitive ability so or awareness um, and increased focus. You know, students, uh, I... I, I love when I hear these testimonies. So many students were saying, you know, I was using Adderall and I really felt like I needed it every time I went to, to the library, but I felt guilty because it was illegal. It wasn't my prescription. And I was bumming it off friends and paying a lot for it. And they say, and then I found run gum and your product has been an Adderall replacement for me. It has been such a study aid. I've, I feel increased focus, increased um, energy. Uh, I can sit and, and really, you know, study to the full, to my full ability with your product. And instead of paying 10 or $20 for, for Adderall, they're paying a dollar 50. Right. You know, it's, it's a, it's a product that has helped a lot of people. And that, and that's been the best part for me is just hearing people say, Hey, this is how run gums helped me. Okay. So I'm going to have to try it before I work out and get back but, to you. But <laughs> I will <laughs> say as, as someone who's, who hasn't really used caffeine much, you need to be really careful with this. Yeah. This isn't candy. It's not a piece of Wrigley's. This is a functional supplement, and I would strongly advise you to start with one piece. And it is one of the reasons why we we dose it out the way that we do. You know, I think no one's going to have a problem. Well, we do have a warning that pregnant uh, women and children shouldn't use this product. But, you know, I don't think that anyone is going to have a real problem with one piece. And 
some people really feel that two pieces is enough. I'm actually working on an extra strength packet for myself because I'm such a, <laughs> yeah. a high a high caffeine user. But uh, remember, it is a, it's a functional product. It's a supplement, and uh, and just learn how this supplement works for you, and and find out what's best for you uh, in terms of usage. Yeah, what got me thinking about doing it for running? So this August, I, I mean, it sounds like you are a very avid outdoorsy person, but I was not. I grew up in Manhattan, like I had never done anything outdoorsy at all, and this summer. I went on a month-long solo 460-mile backpacking trip. Wow, I know, that's right? <laughs> so crazy. And I'm from like Manhattan least, to 460 I know. I'm like the least miles. likely person to have. I did the Oregon section of the PCT, and yeah, um, that's amazing. I brought with me um, some caffeinated like electrolyte tablets, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone noon. Said, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the caffeinated yeah, I- noon. And um, it was the first time that I've had caffeine in such a long, basically Mm -hmm. back since I used to drink and had like Red Bull and vodka and terrible things, you know, and it was insane how much I felt it. Like I was just like, I can hike all day. Hike, 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 hike. It's a wonderful product. I mean, caffeine truly is a a great drug. And, um, you know, I I actually know the CEO of Noon well. They have done an incredible job building that company. Um, And I still use Noon. I think it's a great um, electrolyte product. They, They have... A much smaller amount of caffeine um, than we do, and it does require utilizing liquids. Um, one nice thing that uh, I like about Rungum is there's no liquids involved, and so some people have have come up to us and say, you know, man, I used to carry around an energy drink, and it was horrible um, because I'm a rock climber and I couldn't carry the extra weight up, but I can carry a pack of Rungum. Mm-hmm. Or we had some uh, sled dog racers from Wasilla, Alaska, say. You know, I used to carry energy drinks, but they'd always freeze on me, and then I'd have this chunk of ice that didn't do any good. Now I can carry run gum through my overnight sled races, and it doesn't freeze. And so so extracting the liquid has been really what has separated us from all others. And one of the taglines I like to say is, you know, all these all these companies, whether it's energy shots, energy drinks, or even coffee makers, they all want me to drink something, but I don't want liquids i'm not thirsty i just want energy mm-hmm. you know and that's that's really what run gum's all about i mean so the thing that i love a lot about this story it's the same thing when lauren was on the show a couple seasons ago lauren fleshman and we talked about piggy bars and then jesse this season like i love companies that are started based on someone trying to solve their own problem <laughs> like this mm-hmm. is i need this thing so then probably other people do too well, but i like that. and i i i, I just gotta be grateful for the era that i've been raised in uh this digital era as a millennial, if I have a problem, I go on Google and I solve my problem. And we are so fortunate to have the, that these tools that are at our disposal. You know, I, I knew I needed a, to make a functional gum. What do I know about manufacturing functional gum? But sure enough, I was one Google search away from finding a manufacturer who could help me solve my problem. And mm-hmm. how lucky are we? Um, and I'm saying this as the internet is, is crashing uh, <laughs> all over the U.S., with this uh, recent hacking scandal, this is uh, b- several weeks before this episode will air. But um, just uh, it's 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 an amazing time to be alive. I feel. Yeah, my my husband works for Twitter, and he's like, Uh-oh. "Well, the whole internet's broken today, so yeah, can't do it." <laughs> yeah. Okay, so for you being CEO of this company, which of your skills, if we're going to use the word skills, as an athlete, do you think have been most helpful for you that have translated well into running a company? Well, certainly the perseverance. Just to touch on that again. Um, and goal setting, of course. Um, you know, aside from those two things, um, I mean that that really covers most of it. 
Um, you, if you if you set goals and you persevere and, and work towards the the long term goal, you're going to be successful. I think uh, I think that my running business and my my run gum business have worked really well hand in hand. Um, we really believe in something called earned media, and in a, in this day and age where you're paying massive massive amounts of money for everything from Facebook advertising to radio advertising to print advertising, I mean it it, it can bankrupt a company before it even gets off the ground just trying to advertise to people being able to do cool stuff and have people want to want to follow that cool stuff uh you get free free uh free advertising basically and in 2015 we really capitalized on this i put run gum tattoos on my biceps and was able to pull off the win at the u.s championships flexing my biceps showing the run gum telling everyone that i was only able to to accomplish such a feat utilizing run gum and our sales went through the roof and it cost us 0.0 dollars so mm-hmm. uh well no, i'm lying it cost me i think 35 cents per tattoo <laughs> so uh, pretty good really pretty good roi what would you say has been one of the bigger obstacles or challenges since starting the company the biggest challenge by far has been the fact that my business partner though we have much experience between the two of us in business have never ever done consumer goods before and just you know they just don't translate it my 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 backgrounds in running and marketing and sam's is in real estate and uh you know if you brought in somebody from tech they would equally be as lost as we are in consumer goods it's a totally different beast and we have uh we've learned through trial and error what works and what doesn't and for us a lot of it was just uh, about the learning it was about saying we this is this is a new game that we want to play consumer goods let's play this game and it's been it's been full of uh ups and downs and um it's just been a real it's been a real puzzle for us and i think early on we knew we wanted to be a brand a a brand that people could trust that people respected that people wanted to follow and we we did a great job branding um but we may have lost touch with the idea that we are also a company that needs to sell product and uh, it, that's kind of been the constant back and forth are you know do we focus on sales do we focus on branding you always have to have a focus on both but um, you really when you're a startup you have very limited resources and you have to allocate them just right mm-hmm. and uh, we're just now after two years I think really finding our traction and and we know exactly where we need to allocate our resources so when you guys are having your private conversations maybe about other brands or something are there any companies that really stick out as like yes like they are doing it in terms of like everything that you just talked about that right balance like do you have any brand crushes basically it's my question well, obviously, my biggest brand crush is Red Bull, <laughs> but I can't say that because they're a direct competitor. <laughs> uh, but truly, I mean, I I I created this brand because I I love Red Bull and I want to be the next Red Bull, and I think that we are just going to continue to take market share from energy drink companies and energy shot companies, and we I really believe we'll be as big as them one day. Uh, but you know, aside aside from that. I love what Picky Bars is doing. Lauren and Jesse have built a great company um, that is is a, a solid brand based on their um, you know their own success uh, with their products. Um, you know, I I I really I I will say this. I think that millennials have gotten a little bit too caught up in branding, uh, a little bit too excited about how 
how we tell our story and, oh, we have to have this great Instagram page. And as someone who put a lot of money into Rungum's Instagram page, I'm proud of what we built. But uh, at the end of the day, a company needs to sell a product and yeah. needs to sell a lot of product to be successful. And we are um, we are now focused more on sales. And I, I, I want to make sure that our branding is always on point and always delivering the message that we need to deliver, um, that we are a, a performance-enhancing company. Um, that we were created by a pro athlete and his coach, and and we did this because we believe that performance matters and people matter. But telling that story is great. It only really counts from a business point of view if you sell the product. Yes, and yes. So <laughs> that's why that's one of the reasons that I uh, that I still have my job is that we've we've increased sales and and we're actually just about to um, to, to finalize a deal that will allow us to sell overseas. Nice. So. So big things for Rungum, hopefully in 2017. So what's the best place for people who people like me who want to try it? Where should they go? Well, you can go to Amazon. If you like Amazon, you can go to rungum.com, which is probably where I would most strongly suggest people go because we do have great resources there. Um, there are blogs. There are exposure stories. There's YouTube videos. Um, there's so many resources that we've put out on rungum.com. And it is an e-commerce site, so you can buy directly from us. You can also go to rungum.com and find a list of the retailers throughout the United States that carry our product. We have some incredible retailers uh, that have been so so helpful in getting this product to people. Uh, and at, at rungum.com, we have a map, uh, and you can find out uh, what the nearest retailer to you is. Okay, I love it. So I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes. Um, but circling back to running for a second, I know you shared the big scary goal of 2017 World Championships. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's your last year on the track? Like what's what basically what's left on your running goal list or any unfulfilled dreams in the sport? Yeah, I think that 2017 will probably be my last year on the track. But, you know, I said I, I'd pretty much ticked all my running goals. There is one running goal left and... It's to run a marathon, which may not seem that daunting to people when they're like, well, he's a professional runner. How, you know, he could probably do that tomorrow. I cannot. I have my longest run ever is about 13 miles. And the thought of turning around and doing that again, it seems impossible to me. So I know that that my next big scary goal after 2017 will be to run my first marathon. Nice. Okay. Any race in particular that you have your heart set on? I'm talking to a couple meet directors. Um, I, I have one in mind. You can probably guess what it is. Yes. Uh, it is. I mean, my guess, is, my guess yeah. is, is New York, but yeah, I don't yeah, know. Well, we'll see. We'll I'm see. Yeah. Co- we'll see, but I don't know. I mean, for me personally, if it was just me not trying to be an entertainer, just going out and going for a run, I'd probably do Avenue of the Giants uh, through the Redwood Forest in it's Northern California. Ooh, that sounds but amazing. <laughs> it, it would be so peaceful. But if I'm trying to do it and be entertaining and really, really be a proper marathoner, then uh, – Boston, New York, Chicago, LA, those are the ones that really come to mind. Okay. So 2018, maybe, I guess we will we'll see. And I, I'm, you know, I just, I feel like I really got to take it year by year. Um, and, and that's another thing. And maybe this, this would be a, one of my final um, points about goal setting. If you've set a big, scary goal, that usually the only one that you get for for uh for one particular um set of goals you can't have multiple scary goals detracting from each other so if i say to myself well i want to i want to run 2017 world champs but i also run in a marathon they that's not that they're mutually exclusive um i need to stay focused on my one big scary goal and not let anything else detract from that yeah no i think that's a great point i think the way that i 
I don't know, maybe look at it or think of it when you're talking about it is that it's, I think it's nice to have, to know that there's something else exciting down the line, that it's not in your situation like, okay, the world championship, you know, season or whatever event ends and then just black hole forever. Like, it's nice to know that there's yeah. other things that you could be excited about in the future, right? And I think, I think what would happen is as I get closer and closer to that 2017 world championship, you know, eventually it's going to become my inter- my intermediate goal. And then eventually it'll become my short-term goal. But just because I've gotten so close that my my once big scary goal is now my short-term goal doesn't mean I have to, I get to stop goal setting. Mm-hmm. I have to continue to keep setting more goals. That's just life. That's just navigating this crazy life of always wanting to be better and, and set goals for yourself and accomplish those goals. So you mentioned Instagram before. It seems from your Instagram that you are getting more and more into mountain stuff, mountaineering. Yes. Yeah. What's going on with that? Yeah. Well, uh, not to complicate things, but uh, I thought I was going to retire back in June. And so I, I, I started to revisit goal setting. And, and one of the goals I set for myself when I was 10 years old, well, one was to become an Olympian and one was to climb the tallest mountain on every continent. And having run in two Olympic Games and, and contemplating retirement, I thought, well, maybe this is time for me to go back and revisit that goal I set when I was 10 to climb these these mountains. And so I dusted off my boots and my ice axe and, and signed up for a six-day course to refresh some of my skills and went up and climbed Mount Baker, one of the most heavily glaciated peaks in North America. And Again, I, I don't want to. Con- I don't want to detract from the goals that I've set on the track. But in the back of my mind, I do know that, that the day I stop running competitively, I, I will go back and revisit those those goals of climbing those mountains. I like that you had an ice axe to dust off. That's not something that I just had <laughs> yeah. in my closet. Oh, let me just grab yeah, my. You don't ice have axe. crampons and ice axe lying around? <laughs> I do not. No, I mean considering the what only if another outdoorsy, ice age comes, <laughs> well, then I guess I'm calling you. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. I got um, an extra pair, anyways. That's so funny. Um, so, what was that like to to climb that? It was uh, cathartic. You know, I, I wanted to be in Rio. I had spent four years training to be in Rio. And uh, it was hard watching my friends and teammates compete out there. Because that's I when you also, got injured, right? You got your Exactly. Right. I, got, I got injured right before the games. Um, but also, I knew that I wanted to climb Everest. I still want to climb Everest. And climbing Mount Baker and taking this course was an extremely important step in accomplishing and and that goal and and I would say that climbing Mount Everest for me at this point in my life is a more important goal to me than making a third Olympic team. Um, and and so it was it was frustrating not being at the games because I I had worked so hard for it, but I felt like I was on the path that I was supposed to be on. If that makes sense, yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, and also again that like opening up of okay, there isn't just this like it's when one thing's so important to you, it's easy to think that there's nothing outside of that one thing, and mm-hmm. to just to be reminded of oh, actually there is. I bet that must have been nice. It was it was it was tough, but as soon as I like I said, as soon as I signed up for that course, I started training for it. I started getting the gear I needed, and I, I really felt a sense of purpose again. So, one of the last things that I want to ask, let's say we fast forward into the future, I don't know, however long, and um, oh, see, we did time traveling at the beginning and the end. Maybe I <laughs> maybe I am taking this cue from this <laughs> show that you like. Um, that what do you want to be known for? Like, what do you want your legacy to be? On the track, I would just like people to say that I was the most consistent and one of the most entertaining. And, you know, my my six U.S. titles, the fact that I was ranked top 10 in the U.S. for almost an entire decade, I think that 
I've proven that I was one of the most consistent. Uh, most entertaining is is up for debate. Some will say I was the most annoying. Some will say I was the most entertaining. Uh, I did my best. I, I I did everything I could to interact with my fans and to put on a good show. And uh, I'm proud of of the the career I had. You know, aside from that, if if uh, if if I am lucky enough to live a, a long and healthy lifestyle and, and live to be a hundred, I just want people to remember me as a guy who lives passionately and never stops setting goals. Mm, I love it. Okay, so the way that we wrap these up are with what we call community questions. So each season, the Real Talk Radio listeners want put forth some questions that they want me to ask each of our eight guests of a season. So we have nine kind of rapid fiery questions. If you are down for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so when was the last time that you tried something new and what was it? The last time I tried something new. Oh, that's a good question. I am a, a creature of habit, so <laughs> um you know, I, I was in Tokyo recently and uh, I was there to climb Mount Fuji, which was a really cool trip. And I was eating some crazy Japanese street food. And I was with a buddy um, who had done his mission out there. He's a Mormon guy who'd done his mission there. And he ordered this product. And he's like, oh, you got to try this. And it looked crazy. It was uh, some weird like cooked rice cake with seaweed and some eel sauce on it. I'm like, I don't know. Um, but I, I just said, hey, this guy's the expert. He lived here for two years. He speaks the language. He knows the people. He knows the food. I'm going to put my trust in this guy. And I had it. And it was fantastic. So I, I think, you know, I, I am a fairly adventurous eater, uh, but I encourage people to, um, you know, to try new things. Absolutely. I love it. Um, the second question, what's something that you really love about yourself? What do I love about myself? Um, I love that I'm a good family member. Uh, you know, I, I think that running and and my ambition has taken me um, on a lot of different trips. And and through it all, uh, I always managed to maintain a great relationship with my mom and my dad and my sister. And um, there were some narcissistic phases. There were some depression phases. There were all kinds of phases that happen in life. But through it all, I felt like I was always a, a good member of my family. If you're trying to get to know someone, let's say, I don't know, first date or a new friend or something, what's one of your favorite questions to ask someone? Well, I, I'm trying to think. I, I used to go on a lot of first dates. Um, I have a serious girlfriend now, so I haven't been on a first date in a long time. Um, but uh, I always used to like to ask people where they traveled. Um, and I think that travel says a lot about a person. You know, there's... I understand that there's financial reasons that people don't travel or, um, you know, obligations. But if people don't travel, you really only read the same chapter over and over again, you know, in some respects. And, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to travel to almost 40 different countries. And to this day, travel is, is probably, you know, one of the most important things in my life. It's, it's given me a world perspective. It's, it's given me a real um, sense of, of how small I am in this world and how fortunate I am. Uh, and even if people haven't left the country, I, I, I like to hear about their travels just to their bordering state or their nearby town. And, and if, I think if you're not traveling, you're really not uh, living or experiencing all that life has to offer. Well, that leads directly into the next question, which is, if I could hand you an all-expense-paid trip for two right now, where would you go Ooh. and who would you bring? Um, this will sound crazy, but I want to, I want to ride into outer space. I know that these crazy billionaires are, 
um, foot in the, you know, about, if they haven't already, they're about to start in space um, tourism. And I, I, I feel like, like I said, I've been to so many different countries. I, I'm desperate to go to outer space. I, if I feel like if I get to the end of my life and I've never been into orbit, it will, it will be a disappointment for me. So okay. that's what I choose. Can you make it happen? I mean, no, but hey, if I can, I'll let you know. So who are you bringing with you into outer space? If you could take one person. I bring my, honestly, I'd bring my dad. Um, he wanted to be an astronaut. He went into the Air Force and, and was a surgeon for, um, for several years for them, but went on to be a doctor for 35 years. And I think he, he always had this idea in the back of his mind that, that maybe he'd live long enough to, um, go into outer space and he's only 65. So I'm still, I got my fingers crossed that, um, you know, in the next decade or so, that'll be an option okay. for well, us. After you go into outer space, we're going to have to have another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Earlier this year, I read, um, Richard Branson's book, oh, wh- so whatever good. it is, losing my virginity or whatever it was, and all about the, um, like the crazy hot air Virgin ballooning Galactic. and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. What's one thing that you know now that you really wish you'd known three years ago? Um, one thing I wish I'd known three years ago. You know, I wish, I wish, uh, three years ago, I suffered a really big setback. I had a, what could have been a career ending injury in 2014. And I, I was in the, probably the deepest depression I've ever been in for a couple months. Um, I had, I really had no sense of purpose each day. I just lay in bed, staring at the ceiling. Like I couldn't run and, uh, couldn't do what I felt like I was meant to do is at the, at the very peak of my career. I just won a world medal and was ranked number two in the, in the world. Meet directors were offering me enormous sums of money to come run. And I couldn't even, you know, put it put one foot in front of the other because I had a, a fracture in my knee and um, it was really, really hard time in my life. Um, and it's, it's ultimately why we created run gum is because we had that extra time. I wish I could just go back to that 30 year old me uh, in March or April when I really hit the worst of the depression and just say, you know what, you're going to be stronger for this and you're going to create something really cool from this. And I know it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to deal with it. Um, emotionally, but you're going to be so much better for this. And uh, I just, I, I, I sometimes I feel really guilty for how depressed I got. I have a wonderful life. I'm so blessed in so many ways. And uh, it's for me to sit there and feel sorry for myself because I couldn't go and collect a race fee. It just seems, um, seems silly. Well, that's a very honest answer. I mean, depression and mental health stuff comes up a lot on the show. And right, like the, the underlying thing is, well, it's nothing to feel guilty about because it's a real thing, right? Yeah, so. it is. It is. Um, but mine was mine was for selfish reasons, unfortunately. Okay, so thinking about your everyday, what would you say is your non-negotiable? What's one thing, however large or small, that it's really important for you to do each day? I think exercise. And I, I probably easy coming from a person who's paid to exercise. But um, I, I actually mentioned this in another interview. I, I heard this, uh, this awesome, awesome interview from um, this woman that was interviewing octogenarians. So people who had made it to 80, 90 years of age. And she was asking them, you know, looking back on your life, you know, you've lived such a wonderful, amazing, obviously healthy life. You know, what is one piece of advice that you'd give um, younger generations? And this guy, (laughs) a spunky old dude, he said, exercise for 30 minutes every single day. And, you know, it just made me chuckle because I was sitting there exercising for four or five hours every single day. But I thought about how, how real it is to just get out and it doesn't have to be running. It could be swimming. It could be biking. It could be walking. It could be literally any form of exercise. But uh, there, 
getting out and moving and interacting with nature or, or um, you know, the endorphin rush that you get from exercising, I hope to God that I can exercise for at least 30 minutes every single day for the rest of my life. Amen. I agree with you. So the next question is about books. Um, which two or three books of any genre, any books at all, would you say have had the biggest impact on you? Or maybe what's the book that you've reread the most? Yeah. Wow. Um, so my mom's actually an English teacher. Uh, she teaches senior English at the high school I went to. And so she's been sending me books, you know, since I was, since I left co- for college. But I mean, I always had a new book to read. Uh, she likes fiction and my dad likes nonfiction. So I always kind of had a mixture of both. Um, my favorite work of fiction is called The Power of One by Bryce Courtney. It's about a young man growing up in South Africa during apartheid. And the power of one refers to the power of, you know, one individual or, or many individuals coming together as one. And uh, it's, it's just fantastic read. Uh, I really like A Soldier of the Great War um, by Mark Halperin. That's a, a really cool one about a soldier during World War One who defects and basically climbs through the Alps to get out of it. Um, it's a fantastic non- piece of fiction. Uh, nonfiction, I just got done with Elon Musk's uh, biography. It's so good. I read it it's this year, so too. It's so freaking good. Uh, he, you the know, one by every Ashley time, Vance? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Musk is a pretty private person, and he doesn't let a lot of people um, look at the, that side of his life. But, uh, you know, I sometimes look at that guy, and I'm just, you know, in awe. I mean, to, to run a business like PayPal or a business like, you know, Tesla or SpaceX or Solar City. I mean, any one of those would make him one of the most accomplished businessmen, uh, entrepreneurs in the history of the world. But to be a part of all four is just absolutely mind boggling. Yeah, I, I've been on a biography bender this year. I read the Richard Branson book I told you about, and then I read mm-hmm. Elon Musk, and then I read, there's this great like 800 pages book about Warren Buffett that I read oh, that was yeah, amazing, and I'm reading one on Benjamin Franklin now. I'm like, yeah, just people, <laughs> I don't know, Elon Musk. I finished that book, and I was like, we are not the same species. Like, I just no, it's, it's honestly how it feels. It's like, I can't believe that they made humans like that. Oh, man. it's I don't know, but it's also pretty inspiring that people are doing, like, you know what, if he can attempt to do all of these things, like, probably yeah. I can get out of bed and go for this run or whatever. Well, I just, I'm just sitting there thinking I'm like I hope that this guy lives to be 150 because this planet needs him to be around that long well I mean how else are you going to get to space (laughs) exactly so the last question when you look ahead at the next couple months what do you feel most excited about um I'm most excited to get back in shape uh I took a nice three or four month break this summer I climbed some mountains I caught a lot of fish I did some traveling um, but I really got out of track and field running shape and my target race weights about 159 pounds and I weigh 175 right now. <laughs> I do carry it reasonably well, but it is, it is such a long way off of where I would like to be to race well. And I really do miss that feeling of putting on a pair of, of road racers and getting on the track and just ripping off intervals. It's uh, it, you feel almost invincible when you do it. And I know I'm, I'm at least three or four months away from feeling that way again, but I want to feel that way again. And so I'm going to work slowly but steadily to get back to that kind of shape oh my god all of your answers are so human and good i'm in such a similar <laughs> i mean obviously we're shooting for very different fitness levels but i took about a year and a half off of running went on that yeah. hike and was like okay i'm ready to run again and i'm now in week seven of i mean you know when you like i mean the break was really long for me but getting back in shape just the road is really long and to think oh i used to be able well, to do x y or z and now it's like oh my god i want to die you, but you just have to think of it as a three-month project oh, and yeah. i told my coach this morning i, I I was I looked horrible out there. I'm sure he was embarrassed for me. And I just said, hey, it's a work in progress, right? And he laughed. And and it is. It's a work in progress. I'm not racing tomorrow. The world championships aren't next month. I have, I think, 
nine, 10 months to prepare for them. So just I'm taking a deep breath and remembering that this is all a long journey. It is it is going to take months and months worth of work, but I'm kind of excited that it takes that long. I have a I have a sense of purpose for at least the next year. Yes, but also that idea that the time's going to pass anyway, so you might as well be doing yeah. the hard work, right? So Exactly. I love exactly. the world championships are going to come whether you're fit or not, so you might as well get fit. <laughs> true enough. I love it. Um, so what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite social media platform? or? I do, yeah. Uh, so I love Instagram. I, I used to really love Twitter, and I, I do consider consume a lot of um, news through Twitter still. And I'm, I'm active on Twitter, but mostly for run gun purposes. Uh, if you want to follow me, just Nick Simmons as a person, then I, I'm probably most active on Instagram. Um, you can go to my website, nicksimmons.com. But I really think you, you probably will find the most resources that you'd like to see at rungum.com. Uh, I blog there. <clears throat> I have a YouTube channel there. I do um, you know live Q&As there for our members. So I think uh, check it out. Uh, hope you enjoy uh, the product, if you get a chance to try it. And even if you don't like caffeine and if you say, I hate gum, you know, tell your friends about it. I love it. Well, I'll put links to all of that. And yeah, anyone also who likes even just pretty outdoor stuff, you're a good person to follow on Instagram because you post I do some like beautiful to, I pictures. I like to be in the outdoors. Thank yeah, you very much. I love much. it. Well, this was so fun, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, great questions. Thank you so much for your time. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi, Nicole. So Katie and I are going to play a quick three-question round of Would You Rather, which is my favorite game. So are you ready? Yes, I'm so ready. Okay. Would you rather go back in time and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-grandkids? Oh, I'm going to say go back in time and meet my ancestors because I think it would be kind of cool just to hear what life was like then and see if there's any family traits I can recognize in myself. How far back would you want to go? Mm, maybe like three or four generations. I don't want to go back too too far yeah I, I would pick the same answer as you i think that would be super fun also just like time traveling in general to the past i feel like would be cool so i think so too i love it okay so next question would you rather be super famous or be the best friend of someone who's super famous oh i think i would want to be the best friend of someone who is super famous so that way i could get a lot of perks without having like paparazzi following every detail of my life. I feel exactly the same way. I, f I mean, being famous would be really hard. I think it would be exhausting and you don't have much privacy. But if you're the best friend, then you get a lot of the same perks without the cost of actually being a celebrity. Totally agree. Okay, so the last one, would you rather win a huge, enormous lottery or get to live twice as long? Oh, and if you live twice as long, is it the same quality of life or I don't know? Yeah, if I I'm guess. Going yeah. To, okay. So if I can have the same quality of life, hmm, I think I would say live twice as long because you see, you hear those stories about people who win the lottery and then have a really hard time. And a lot of times they end up like bankrupt or they lose their friends. So I think I would live an extra long time. I think I would pick the lottery because, I don't know, I feel like it would be such a bummer to like everyone that I love and care about dies and then I have to live twice as long without them. I don't know. <laughs> I think that, would, that could be a bummer. Oh, 
That is such a good point. I might switch my answer, actually. <laughs> okay, so you and I can win the lottery. That sounds good. Yes. Um, okay, so why don't you introduce yourself to the rest of the listeners really quick. Maybe tell everyone where you live and one thing you are totally obsessed with lately. Okay, so I'm Katie Kidwell. I currently live in Lincoln, Nebraska. And this summer, I was really obsessed with being outside, going on walks and camping. But now that the seasons are changing, I'm spending more time inside. And I've been getting really obsessed with interior design books and organizing. So that's pretty much what I'm obsessed with right now. Oh, are there any interior design books or blogs that you really love that you would recommend to people? The one I'm reading right now is called Elements of Style, Designing a Home and a Life by Aaron Gates. And it was really good. And then I think... Maybe someone in Real Talk Radio mentioned this um, on one of the episodes, but I think it's called like Sage Living. Um, That was a really good book, too. I just finished reading that one. I'm always so curious about what people are reading. So even if it's something that I'm like, well, I don't know that I would pick up an interior design book, but now I'm curious, like, oh, maybe I would like that. (laughs) I know. It was never something that I had interest in before. And then I was kind of just wandering around the library and stumbled upon the section. I was like, oh, this actually looks really fun. Like it's a nice rest for my brain just to be able to look at pretty pictures. Totally. I always find too, like if I try something new book wise and really wind up loving it, then I go so far down the rabbit hole. I'm like, well, now I have to read everything about this or whatever. That is where I am right now. (laughs) I love it. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, meaning that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps fund the costs of producing the show each season. So I would love for you to share maybe why you decided to support the show and what you love about being in our little community. So I chose to support this podcast because it's so valuable. Um, There have been a lot of different episodes that have just had such good information in it that I've been able to apply to my life. So I work as a therapist in an obesity clinic and your talk with Isabel Fox and Duke completely revolutionized the way I do therapy with my clients. Like it completely changed the way I'd been thinking about obesity um, and how best to help people. So I just think it's really amazing. Um, and also, I've been following your work for a long time. Back in 2010, I took a sociology class at the University of Virginia. And the professor of that class read one of your blog posts about hookup culture And I started following your work then, and I've just always have loved everything that you've done. So now that you've switched into being a podcaster, I wanted to support that too. Okay, I have so many things to say. First of all, thank you for sure. Um, Are you the one who emailed me when the professor did that in class? Probably. (laughs) I imagine I probably did. Because, oh my God, this is such, I mean, this is what, like six years ago. I remember being so touched. I mean, I had a different URL, like a different website at the time. And I remember getting an email from a woman who was taking, it was taking some kind of class and like that, it might've been you, I don't know, or either that or it was someone else in your class. And I got this incredibly, yeah. Oh my God, that's so (laughs) funny. Okay. So you've been in my corner of the internet for a really long time. (laughs) It's hilarious. I just love everything that you do. Um, And I feel like a lot of the changes that you've made in your life as you transitioned into like running and then into backpacking um, have kind of inspired me to also be making healthy changes in my life. And I feel like every time that you're doing something, I'm like, oh, that is so interesting. Like, I want to know more about that. 
You're so sweet. I'm going to cry. Also, I want to say um, I wholeheartedly agree with you on Isabel Fox and Duke. I, I mean, she is a friend and total inspiration for me. And everything that she says about basically just <laughs> body diversity and why diet culture is terrible and just all. I mean, it's she is a wise, wise woman. Yes, she is. She is amazing. I love it. So you're the best. And thank you so much for being brave and for joining me for this. Thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate all of your work. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want 20 plus hours of bonus content, and if you want to help us reach the funding goal that we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016, so beyond the end of this season, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. Oh,